Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm excellent. How are you? I am good. Today, I want to talk about something that's it's not really exciting, but it is certainly different for Virginia. Yeah. Because just a few months ago, pot became legal in Virginia. That is correct. Recreational. But it, but it became legal, like in a very weirdly limited legal, way. right? Yeah, like in a very you, limited way. Somebody has to give you pot. You can't buy it. Yeah. I don't um, understand that. Can you explain that? To, can you explain to me why Virginia's law is so weird compared to something like Colorado or one of the other states where they're like, go to it, my friends, smoke pot, sell pot, do whatever you want to do with it. Just, you know, don't drive impaired. Right? Yeah. That seems to be the rule in, in Colorado is just don't just don't be impaired when you're operating something where you could hurt somebody else. Yeah, I mean, so to kind of take a step back, in the United States right now, um, uh, nearly four-fifths of the states allow for the medicinal use of marijuana. Almost 20 states, including Virginia, allow for the recreational use of, of marijuana by adults. Okay. Can you explain... So marijuana is a schedule one drug. Okay. So, 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 so that's where it's legal versus non-legal status comes from, right? Is, yeah. Okay. Is how it's, how it's described by the federal government. Okay. So the federal government has regulated drugs, not alcohol. The federal government's been regulating alcohol since pretty much the onset of the formation of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> Is that um, why pubs actually close? Like y'all have to go home. You you don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. And you can't keep drinking, right? Like, well, uh, we we <laughs> Nia, we need an entire separate podcast episode to discuss um, the United States relationship with alcohol. Okay. okay. Um, uh, because as you and I have discussed, um, uh, when we haven't been recording, uh, when we've discussed uh, potential podcast episodes, um, the United States relationship with alcohol um, is, I think it's fair to say, unique among the nations of the world, right? There's a Victorian word, fraught. Yes. It is okay. fraught. Yeah, with- yes complications and yeah with with, with alcohol (laughs) with booze right i mean uh as some scholars have pointed out you could plausibly make the argument nia that the united states was a nation founded on alcohol okay oh the rum runners and well i mean you know many of our founding fathers actually produced alcohol oh that's right I mean, a lot George of the plantations Wa- did. George Washington, okay, yeah. uh, 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 was a distiller. Okay. Um, you know, some of our initial legal skirmishes in our country occurred <laughs> because the federal government 
decided to tax booze as a way to pay off revolutionary war debts. But in regards to, regards to drugs, the federal government got involved in regulating drugs at the turn of the 20th century, okay? Uh, I um, think in your writings, I saw 1906. 1906, right? Okay. Um, and this is roughly the time when uh, pressure was put on the federal government um, to regulate uh, the food and drug, food and drug that were being, drugs that were being sold to the American public. Okay. Is that like that sort of take this tincture for, you know, headaches, take this whatever, and you could be, it could have anything in it. Yeah, right. You know, cocaine, this is a, like the original, the original Coca-Cola had coca leaves in it, like all kinds of stuff like that it could just be. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, this is a magic elixir that in addition to going ahead and and curing you of constipation, you could also use to get stains out of your clothes, right? <laughs> okay. Probably okay. you don't want to swallow something that can do both of those things. Please, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. But, so it's, you've got this sort of snake oil thing going on that they're trying to protect people from. From That's right. And that's where you get the rise of an independent regulatory commission known as the Food and Drug Administration, right? Um, but in regards to marijuana, okay, uh, the Controlled Substance Act was passed during the Nixon administration. Um, and ostensibly, it was a law that was designed to have the federal government regulate and criminalize the sale, distribution, and usage, okay, of drugs that were ruining people's lives, right? You know, whether it had been cocaine, heroin, hallucinogenics, et cetera, et cetera. But in regards to marijuana, okay, marijuana was added to the list of drugs, okay? And these are known as Schedule I drugs. In the law, the Controlled Substance Act, Two federal agencies, the Food and Drug Administration and the DEA, the Drug Enforcement Agency, have to make a determination. Does a drug have any legitimate medical use and is it safe if used or prescribed? If you can't answer yes to those basic questions, then the drug gets placed in Schedule One. And Schedule One of the law allows the federal government to criminalize the production, sale, distribution, and use of those drugs. Gotcha. So in the case of something like heroin, there's no medicinal use for heroin. That's right. And there's no safe level of use of heroin. heroin. That's right. Okay. But weed is a weird one because. Yes. Right. Because Weed's been shown to relieve pain and anxiety in some patients. So there is a medicinal use for it. And it, in relatively small quantities, it's considered to be safe, right? It's not. Yes. Okay. And okay, that's, one of, so... that's one of the criticisms 
of, uh, of the federal government, even today, classifying marijuana as a Schedule I drug. But Why was no, it classified as a Schedule I drug? Well, there are various explanations, okay? Uh, one of the more prominent explanations for why marijuana was classified as uh, a Schedule One drug is that many of the people who used marijuana in the late 60s, early 70s, okay, were young hippies, okay? Oh, okay, anti-government, anti- yes, who were not very uh, supportive of the national government, but particularly the Nixon administration. Um, okay. Uh, there has been uh, the unearthing of, of government documents, um, conversations in the Nixon administration, um, where um, uh, you know those who use marijuana were seen as enemies of the administration. Um, you know these were people who politically were not going to be supportive of the Nixon administration. Okay. Um, oftentimes used by people of color and minorities, poor people, people living in cities. Again, groups who typically didn't vote for Nixon and or Republicans. Um, so it had racial and class overtones. Okay. Um, but okay. And hence the Schaefer Commission's sort of like there's nothing wrong with marijuana y'all need to stop and the nixon administration and, and nixon saying oh you gave me this report that i've suddenly dropped in the back of the bottom of the closet and can't find well hell like well, let's, <laughs> Neil, let's be more specific he threw it in the circular file known as a garbage can okay and in, in hope that nobody reported on the findings of the schaefer commission and for listeners if you don't know what the schaefer commission is about uh, take a look at our previous podcast episode um, uh, from earlier this year, where we looked at various government commissions, one of which was the aforementioned Schaefer Commission. Okay. So, now, so we're here where we've got marijuana as a Schedule One drug, which you and I, I think, agree probably should not be on the Schedule One list. But the government has been pretty obstinate about keeping it there. Well, when you say the government, Nia, you the here's, federal government. Yeah, here's part of the confusion, okay, which you alluded to a few minute, a few moments ago. The federal government lists marijuana as a Schedule One drug. So across the country, okay, if you produce, sell, distribute, or use marijuana, theoretically, you could be arrested by federal agents for violating federal law. And Schedule One carries some pretty hefty penalties. Yes. yes. It's not a, okay, pay your $10 fine and go on home. It's not a jaywalking thing. It's a much more. Yeah, this isn't a traffic citation. Yeah, right? it's a much more involved. <laughs> okay. And people have gone to prison for long prison terms for very small amounts of weed. Yes. Right? Relative to. Uh, sorry, and by weed, I mean marijuana. We will probably call it a thousand different things. Marijuana has lots of straight names. Yes. Um, grass. You know, grass, uh, Mary Jane. Right. Okay. Um, you know, smoking a blunt. Okay. <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 
in the lexicon it has so many names because so many people use it don't find it well and don't find it harmful in the way that other things yes are are harmful but in the last roughly 25 to 30 years at the state level individuals have been able to convince states to decriminalize the use of marijuana first it was for medicinal purposes so in states like california okay they created medical dispensaries okay to where if you were prescribed a card by a licensed doctor to use marijuana for pain relief and other medicinal purposes you could go to a dispensary and get a small amount of marijuana to alleviate your pain or to help with glaucoma in regards to an eye condition, et cetera, et cetera. So, Which was the smart way to do it because then well, you get a large test set that shows that it's not, that people then didn't become bonkers in the streets and start, you know, yeah. killing so, people and stealing stuff and doing whatever like that and that's kind one of the, incremental and that's one of the advantages that have always been that has always been associated with robust federalism okay which is you allow states whether it be one state or a handful of states to try out policy innovations or policy changes to see what works and what doesn't work. <laughs> and then if they tank, you're like, oh, well, so much for California. Moving on. And you just, well, and, yeah. I mean, like, but it I tanks mean, in one spot rather than tanking the entire country. So you're, what is that? Something about laboratories of democracy, something? No, no, you're, you're That's correct. That's not the phrase. Is that the phrase? Yeah, yeah. Uh, 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 Justice Louis Brandeis. Uh, uh, writing in a, a Supreme Court case, I believe it was in the, the late 1920s, early 1930s, referred to states as laboratories of democracy. Right. So okay. try it in California before the rest of us try it. It's kind of like, does this smell weird to you? Why don't you eat it first? And if you don't die, then I'll eat it. Right. Like, yeah, we're, we're, we're uh, listeners, uh, Nia and I are of an age where there was an infamous cereal commercial, life cereal commercial, right? <laughs> okay, where the parent gives one child a bowl of life cereal, okay? And the kid's a little skeptical, right? Because, you know, hey, when you get cereal recommendations from parents, usually yeah. parents are trying to give you good cereal. Right, you know, it's going to taste terrible. You know, without the sugar in it, and exactly. you know, the marshmallows, et cetera. <laughs> So the one child goes ahead and pushes the ball down to uh, 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 their brother, Mikey. Yep. And, and, and the, the, the catchphrase was, um, you know, give it to Mikey. You know, what is it? If he likes it, it's something about if he'll try if he it. If he tries it, he'll like it, right? Okay, because, you know, we can watch Mikey's face as he <laughs> digs into the bowl of life cereal. Okay, and if Mikey likes it, well, then maybe it's not too bad. Likewise, right. he goes back for another spoonful, and his brother shouts, "He likes it!" Hey, Mikey! Right, like it's a whole yeah. Okay, and then, the whole you know, thing. The, you know, the the commercial ends with a whole bunch of kids, you know, uh, happily 
greedily, okay, (laughs) diving into bowls of life cereal. But but likewise, that's the idea behind federalism. But it has created, okay, this weird, confusing conflict. Because once states began to allow medicinal purpose or medicinal use of marijuana, other states, most prominently the first two states in this country, Colorado and Washington, began to allow for the recreational use of marijuana. And this occurred during the Obama administration. So what you could legally do in your state is technically still a violation of federal law. And still is, right? It's still sure. a violation still of federal is. law. So if you're in Virginia, okay, where it's now legal to smoke weed and you smoke some, you're still potentially in yes. trouble with the feds. Now, the Obama administration made it very clear. Um, uh, and this came from a, a memorandum uh, uh, from a Department of Justice lawyer, uh, Cole. So it's known as the Cole Memorandum. The Obama administration would not target or enforce federal law, would not target lawbreakers of federal law as long as states could demonstrate to the Drug Enforcement Agency that um, uh, kids could not get a hold of marijuana and drug cartels um, could were not making money by selling weed. So as long as right, states, you weren't legitimizing drug cartels. That's right. As long as states could demonstrate that to the Obama administration's Justice Department, the Obama administration was basically what, what, what did Obama say? He said, uh, we have bigger fish, to, fish fry. to fry. That's right. We have bigger fish to fry. But advocates for marijuana use um, got a little trepidatious when Trump was elected president uh, because Trump, when he was a candidate for president, uh, distinguished between um, marijuana use for medicinal purpose, which he didn't have a problem with, versus recreational use of marijuana. Advocates Which seems to be the general Republican. Yeah, increasingly, stand, you have, right? Is that yeah, in, I'm okay in, with a medical use for pain or anxiety, but I'm not okay with a with a recreational use for fun. Yeah, and the only exception, it, so you have more Republican elected officials um, who have subscribed to that distinction. Now, it. In the Trump administration, initially, his attorney general was former Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions. Sessions didn't make such a distinction. As far as Sessions was concerned, okay, anybody who used marijuana for any purpose, okay, was a druggie. It was all reefer madness. Yeah, right, okay. Um, But he didn't last long as attorney general. Um, and oh. by the no, he didn't uh, for only about a year and a half. Okay. Hey, Remember, that was long for a Trump appointee. appointee. <laughs> I'm not trying to be ugly, but Trump's appointees moved on relatively quickly. 
Uh, a lot of them relatively quickly in their positions. Nia, have you ever heard the expression churn and burn? Yeah. Yeah, that, that, that was the, uh, the, the, the Trump approach to his- Lots of approach. turnover. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, in human resource management circles, there was a lot of turnover costs in the Trump administration, right? I, the, the thing about the, what I would think would be so hard is the one admin somewhere who's supposed to keep up with the organizational chart, hmm. you know, and, and they're, the, every day they come in and say, what change do I need to make? Like, it's just that, but anyway, okay, um, so, but one so, could argue that that's lots of points of view that Donald Trump brought into various agencies. You could argue it from the other side and say that there's something to be said for lots of points of view. Um, well, I mean, it's a it's a different managerial approach, right? right. I mean, you you and I've discussed it in previous podcast episodes. His managerial approach comes from a different sector of institutional life in the United States. Right. In business, I mean, the churn thing is normal, and in government, the stability thing is normal. normal. And so, yeah, you so, have those that, two bumping heads. But back to your initial question that you started the episode with. Yeah. Why is Virginia so weird? Well, well, Virginia, sorry about this. We could discuss for weeks why Virginia is so Virginia's weird about weird. lots of but other things. But <laughs> Virginia's approach is is what I refer to in policy circles as dipping a toe in the water. OK. OK. So. You know, on one hand, Virginia historically is known as a very conservative, cautious state about policy change, right? I mean, it's one of the reasons, for instance, why Virginia's um, financial reputation has always been rock solid. Virginia hardly ever borrows significant amounts of money, the government that is, to do things. Oh, bonds and things you mean? Our bond yes. rating is really high? Okay. Our, our bond rating historically has been extremely high, one of the best in the country among the states, okay. right? But the criticism that that engenders is Virginia does not make broad sweeping policy change. Virginia is not innovative. Typically, no. Okay. Because right? innovation not. is dangerous. It, it is extremely dangerous. Okay. So Virginia's approach is kind of sort of dipping a toe or a couple toes into the uh, recreational use of marijuana policy change, okay, to see is this a good fit for, for Virginia or a bad fit. And basically, Virginia is trying to avoid a, creating a robust private sector market for marijuana use. On one hand, they've decriminalized it, right? Okay, you can have small amounts of marijuana in Virginia at, as an adult, not as a child, of course. Okay, right, over 18, an, right? Okay, over 18. And you won't be arrested and thrown in jail. On the other hand, there, Virginia has created a policy structure that is not, shall we say, all that welcoming to you know those businesses who would like to set up shop okay and you know uh dispense in addition to marijuana that can be rolled into cigarettes 
you know, other kinds of marijuana-based substances like gummies, okay, chocolate bars, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, hey, all you got to do is just drive up 95 and go to New York or Massachusetts, okay, and they have marijuana shops, right? right. Okay, um, you know, you go to Colorado, right? Okay, um, you know, they're doing tourism packages in Colorado for people to not only see, okay, the mountain vistas, but you can also, you know, spend a day visiting Colorado's marijuana shops. I'm not making this up, guys, okay? You can, you know, actually Google this or go to Expedia, okay? <laughs> and, and, and get your, you know, your tourism trip, okay, to Colorado to include going to marijuana shops. Right? And Virginia doesn't want that. No, Virginia doesn't want that, at least right now. Right. Okay. And so I is just, this some way to see whether, like, will they watch and see whether crime statistics go up and uh, sure. addictions, like statistics go up and all that kind of thing in yes. order to make the next step? Is that sort of the... That's the kind of logic that you see with okay. the change in the Virginia law. Okay. Um, and, and um, you know, it's not as aggressive or as robust as we see in other states. But I mean, Virginia, you know, uh, you know, finally recognized what many uh, scholars, um, and I'm not only talking about medical scholars or drug scholars, but I'm also talking about criminal justice scholars, uh, public policy analysts, okay, have begun to conclude, which is marijuana probably should not be a schedule one drug per the federal government's Controlled Substance Act, okay? That those who use it typically don't get quote unquote addicted to it. And if they do get addicted to it, they typically don't engage in other criminal activities, okay, to maintain their addiction, okay? And that's different than what you see with other Schedule One drugs, um, whether we're talking about the various versions of cocaine, heroin, meth, speed, okay? Or, you know, God forbid we actually talk about how opiates, okay, um, which are allowed by the Food and Drug Administration, are not a Schedule One drug, but are highly addictive. Highly addictive. And we see. Ask the Sacklers and their lawyers. And, I mean, and, and as we've seen in the past decade, um, criminal activity associated with, okay, distributing, um, selling, and using opiates, okay, um, has skyrocketed, okay? I mean, there are entire communities in the United States that have been devastated uh, by opiate addiction. Okay. Although I would like to to uh, quote here for just a moment, a guy I know who wrote <laughs> a thing, um, and listeners, if you're wondering who that is, it's Augie, in uh, one of his musings posts, I I really liked this phrase because it's, I think for me, it's how I can, I think of addiction. Addiction is a treatable illness rather than a criminal condition. And the, the problem with us criminalizing 
being addicted to something is that one, we drive it underground so yes. people don't get help. And two, we penalize you for being addicted to something, which is we don't penalize people for being addicted to alcohol. We don't penalize people for being addicted to shopping or sex or other things that people get addicted to, but we criminalize them for being addicted to cocaine when what we should be doing is helping them get off cocaine because yes. almost nobody who's addicted to meth or cocaine or heroin wants to stay in that state. A few exactly. do. And in that case, then we should make sure they can do it as safely as possible. But most of those people say, if I could go back and not take that first hit, I would. Yes. Because I see what it's done to my life. And it, to it, treat it, that like it's a criminal, like there's criminal intent to it, seems to me to be wrong. It's just a, it's, yeah. it's a backwards way of thinking about people. And there's two points I want to, uh, to make um, in addition to what you just said. You know, think about this, Nia. It wasn't until the 1960s that the courts began to acknowledge that being an alcoholic was not a criminal offense. Really? It was not until the 1960s. So yes. before that, being an alcoholic was a crime? Yes. Interesting. I did not know that. Okay. Okay. And then the second thing I wanted to point out is, Nia, you just went ahead and mentioned, you know, the intention of drug users. For most drug users, their intention when they use drugs is not to get hooked, is not right. to get addicted, right? And in criminal law, okay, intent, okay, the motive is an extremely important element of demonstrating that somebody committed a criminal act. Yeah, it's the difference between murder and manslaughter. Yes. Right? I meant to kill him versus I accidentally Deadly. killed somebody. That we treat those, we recognize those as different things. We, we right. treat them as different things under the law. And, oh, and I'm getting a little riled up. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. But I mean, and this really does demonstrate, if you will, okay, how this country still has some significant issues to address as it relates to not only, you know, uh, whether or not marijuana should be legal, okay, um, uh, what drugs, um, if any, should be Schedule One drugs, right? I mean, uh, you know, we've already talked about, for instance, issues of federalism, <laughs> right? Okay. Um, I mean, because, you know, think about this. Historically, Okay, what level of government has the authority to regulate individual behavior for public health and safety reasons? States. States. But we have a federal law, okay, the Controlled Substance Act, that allows the feds to regulate and criminalize, okay, behavior that historically. Um, is the domain of state governments. Well, I would argue that's because Congress has not done its job in <laughs> controlling. It, it makes these acts. The, here's the Controlled Substances Act, and it doesn't curtail the federal level of, of control over that. 
Like, is well, that I up mean, to Congress? Shouldn't con shouldn't Congress just come along and make marijuana legal? Yes, but and again, I'm glad you went in and mentioned this. Now you have issues of the modern administrative state, right? Because what Congress has basically done as given a whole bunch of authority to executive branch officials to decide what drugs are or not are or are not schedule one drugs congress could go ahead tomorrow and by the way there is draft legislation in the senate to decriminalize or remove marijuana from the schedule one listing of drugs but those agencies could do it too right like yes dea and, and fda do they both have to agree yes they okay. both have to agree Okay. So they could go to lunch. The directors could go to lunch and say, what do you think? Shall we take marijuana off the, yeah. off the schedule one? And the other guy could say, sure. And then that would be the end of that. But here's, here's another issue. Let's say that the DEA and the FDA did that. I um, feel certain they have to post it somewhere. Uh, yeah, they would. Okay. <laughs> Is that the federal... Register, the, they'd have to say, yeah, they would have we're to go thinking ahead about and, changing this. Please tell us what's wrong with this idea. As, as longtime listeners know, what <laughs> Nia is referring to is the process laid out in the Administrative Procedures Act, right? They would have to go ahead and provide notice that they're going to make a change, okay? Then they would have to give 30 days for comments. For Jeff Sessions to complain. Okay, um, uh, and then they would have to, you know, uh, spend a, 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 a certain amount of time appearing to take into consideration the comments. <laughs> okay, I mean, this is a process. And that then they have to tell the agencies how to actually go about that's stopping doing what it is they've been doing. doing you can fix right? all your manuals and remove all these laws and or remove all these penalties and don't but, be but here's another stopping thing. people for this anymore. But here's another thing. One of the reasons why you probably won't see the DEA and the FDA take this kind of initiative is that they're afraid at the next annual budget hearing, okay, for their agency's budgets, oh. members of Congress are going to go ahead. You and made marijuana legal. You're just, you're just, yeah. you just love druggies. That's what you do. Yeah. Wah, 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 wah. yeah. And, 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 a, and a member of Congress, whether it be the House or the Senate, will have a letter, okay, or a video testimony from one of their constituents where their son or daughter, okay, ended up getting hooked on marijuana that led them to go ahead and then use harder drugs like cocaine or heroin, right. and their life was ruined or they died. And it's your fault. And it's your fault. You, you want to go you ahead open and the gate. This. You open yes. the gate in the gateway, yes. in the gateway drug, and now yes. yep, there'll be that. And the other, I assume, thing that they would fear would be if it, if somehow people could show that cartels were not making huge amounts of money, right? Like that's yes. the more likely scenario, I would think, is not my kid got addicted and died, although there is that, but also you're not supposed to do this because cartels are not supposed to be able to benefit. And we can show that all these different marijuana farms are owned by this one cartel and they well, make and, a lot and, of money. And yeah. 
Okay, now you're getting into the, you know, the, the, the policy implementation burdens that government has to address when they make something legal that was previously illegal. Okay, you just don't go ahead and say, <laughs> voila, you can now do X. Because if it was previously illegal, and in the case of, let's just say, marijuana, there's a whole bunch of money that was that that was and is being made with the illegal sale of marijuana. Right. Those who previously were engaged in that black market, if you will, aren't going to be all that pleased <laughs> when their market shares dry up. Right. Right. So they're going to try to take steps, okay, to protect their investments, right? So, you know, criminal activity around the manufacturing, sale, and distribution of marijuana won't go away overnight. So you're going to need to have law enforcement that are trained to address those particular issues right oh and you do have to i guess take into account potential violence from those organizations of people against people quote muscling in on their their market their on turf. their market yeah okay, okay. So the way you got when you when alcohol was illegal in the united states and there were people there were gangs who fought about who got to sell or who got to own a city or part of a city or, I mean, isn't that what the Chicago Valentine's Day massacre was about? Sure, but Nia, to my point, look at what happened when prohibition was repealed. States were given the authority to regulate the sale, distribution and use of alcohol within their borders. And what many states encountered after the repeal of prohibition was that those who engaged in illegal alcohol sales during prohibition then wanted to go ahead and corner the market of the legal sales. Yeah. So states had to come up with enforcement and regulatory, if you will, systems to deal with that. Okay. So, yeah, and in know, states that I have lived in, the way they've responded to that has been that the state sells you hard liquors. The, the sure. You go to the state to buy whiskey, brandy, whatever else, and you can buy beer and wine, which are considered much lower alcohol content, in grocery stores. And most states have certain times where you can... You can buy that. You can't buy it on Sunday morning because you ought to be in church. It's very, um, uh, the state regulation on that is always fascinating to me. But but they, they the state cornered the market on hard alcohol and prevented, I suppose, all these other people from coming yes. in and selling and selling it with weird stuff in it. Like the other thing is when the state regulates it, the state can actually regulate the the ingredients yeah the content and the quality right? right i mean these are the same issues that arise when the, the government privatizes a previous public or government function okay the state has to go ahead 
and get involved in implementation and enforcement of the new legal regime, right? Right. I mean, think about, for instance, one of the issues that, is, that, have, that has arisen in those countries and even states within the United States that have legalized the recreational use of marijuana. Most marijuana transactions are not done with debit cards. <laughs> they are usually cash transactions. But banks in the United States, like banks in most Western democracies, don't look very kindly on individuals who come to the bank with, you know, gobs with huge amounts of legal tender today. Right. 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 So There's you, red flags that get raised by Treasury about why are you depositing nine thousand dollars in twenties? Yes, right into your into your checking account. And some of and then banks would say, we don't want your account because we we think that the money is coming from a what is now currently a federally illegal yes. thing to do. And we work across the state. So we're FDIC insured. We can't afford to lose our insurance. We can't afford to lose our are placed with the federal government because they decide to come after us to try to find all your drug money. Like well, I can I mean, see where banks, and I know that banks won't lend startup costs. No, they won't. To marijuana farms. Like you have to have all that money saved or get it from other people because banks are like, no, I'm not going to give you money for an illegal enterprise. Are you insane? We can't. Well, I mean, even I if guess they think they can't repossess it if it doesn't. Well, even if it's legal in that state, there are still Americans who are vehemently opposed to marijuana being legal. Do you want to be known as the bank, okay, that provides startup money, okay, for an enterprise that many of your bank customers, okay, think is a gateway drug, okay, to harder drug use? Yeah, if Elon Musk is listening to this podcast, which I think is extremely unlikely, but if he is, that's what your next venture should be. Start a bank <laughs> that lends money, that lends venture capital to marijuana Well, and, and I want to go back to something you mentioned just a few minutes ago. You were talking about how the government can get involved to regulate, if you will, the quality and the content of drugs. Right. The Canadian experience um, is very illuminating in this regard. When Canada legalized the recreational use of marijuana, the Canadian government, okay, um, wanted to make sure that the potency of marijuana uh, in that country was not so great that it might actually cause people to get addicted to marijuana. Right, or harm its users in some Okay, harm its users, yeah. et cetera. Well, for many marijuana users in Canada, they didn't like those limits, so they still now prefer to go ahead and buy marijuana from the black market. Because <laughs> they want the stronger stuff. They want the stronger stuff, right? Well, and so, the other, so the, I mean, so the, the question government, is, Sorry. I'm sorry. So the government walks a very fine, and, and, and I try to tell, I, I try to tell advocates for legalizing marijuana. 
when you legalize marijuana, okay, it doesn't mean voila, we have this just great, okay, legal market now, okay? There are a whole host of policy implementation questions you have to address if you want this to work, right? okay? Um, and I know it's boring stuff. It's stuff that we don't want to go ahead and answer, okay? But these are the kinds of what-if questions, okay, that drive policymakers and, and bureaucrats tasked with implementing policy. They just drive them bonkers, Right. Well, and it's why it takes forever to do something, because you have to yes. think all the way through it. OK, so you've made pot legal in your state. Right. Yes. People can now recreate with with weed and and enjoy it however they want to enjoy it, including edibles. So edibles are food and and food is strictly controlled in terms of health. Like, I can't just make brownies in my kitchen and sell them on VCU's camp. Well, I mean, I could, but if I got caught, that's illegal for a reason. You don't know what the cleanliness level of my kitchen is. I might have cats walking on the counters. I might have, who knows, and not have cleaned any of that up before I started cooking. And now you're ingesting something that may or may not be healthy. Like, those edibles have to be regulated not just for the level of THC that's in them, but for the quality of the actual edible itself. Was it made in a safe environment? And I think people, and then they go, oh, and you're like, yeah, there's a lot more to it than just go to town there, brother. Like it's not, <laughs> yes, right. you know, and so I don't know if you've ever rolled a cigarette or a blunt or anything. And I'm not asking you, Augie, because I don't want you to Admit or not have, admit. Hypothetically, I may have some experience. You have hypothetical business. experience? Okay. Well, in my hypothetical experience, rolling two blunts exactly the same way is almost impossible. Yeah. They're, they're slightly different sizes. Right? Even, if you, even if you're stone cold sober. Okay, and you've done it a hundred times. times you, it's still it, really hard to roll them exactly the same. So how do you guarantee right. the size, okay, um, uh, the, the quality, potency, the quality, the potency, right. okay, et cetera. And these are all the kinds of things that we have over the years relied upon the government to regulate and ensure. Right. The, we don't, okay, how many of us would have jumped up and taken a vaccine that the FDA and not just did not approve. Right. Yes. If they had said, well, we don't think it's we don't think it's good. We I don't think anybody would have rolled up their sleeves like we depend on certain levels of the government of the government's intervention to keep us safe. We don't. You, and that's there's reasons why the customs officials, when they find all that smoked fish in your suitcase, they're like, yeah, no, you can't bring this into the United States. Like, <laughs> I don't know what you're thinking, but you know what I mean? Like, that's just unhealthy and it's weird and you need to stop and it smells bad, right? Like, there's all these things, but but mostly it's unhealthy. We can't guarantee the safety of that food for the consumption of the people who come after. And we don't want that to go away. 
I don't want that to go away because I don't want the number of rat hairs in my can of tuna to go up because nobody's minding the, you know what I mean? mean, Like there's a reason that that all of those companies get inspected every so often and all that stuff is to keep you from dying from what they might put into a can of food or. Yeah. And, and And for our listeners, I mean, you know, just think about, for instance, um, uh, what we've learned historically, okay, not only in the United States, but in other nation states, okay, when a nation's economy goes from farming to industrialization to post-industrialization, right, we ask the government to go ahead and minimize risk, right, um, I mean, if, if you want, folks, we can go ahead and tie this to the social contract, right? <laughs> I mean, we can, right? right? What you know, what is one of the reasons why you have a government, okay, to provide, okay, you know, safety, stability, okay, stability, okay, to minimize evil and wrong, right? Right. Right. Okay. That's why you have a legal system. Okay. It's theoretically, so there is redress and there is. Yes, right. Okay. We have laws so that people know what is or is not societally acceptable. Right. Right. Okay. So you can go ahead and tell your kids, you should not travel, okay, 10 miles per hour over the speed limit on the interstate because that's unsafe. And by the way, you don't want to pay the citation or the ticket, right? You know, um, you want to make brownies for a bake sale. Okay, did you get approval from wherever you're going to sell the brownies? Okay, to sell them. Right. Right. Um, you know, you come up with a new way to make to roll marijuana cigarettes. Okay. Well, the state wants to make sure that the way, okay, your invention, your widget, if you will, the infamous capitalism example, right? Did you come up with a new widget? Okay. Does it comply with safety standards? Right. Uh, Because we want users to have some kind of confidence or security that when they use or smoke, okay, your marijuana blunt, okay, it's not going to lead them to spend a month in a hospital. Exactly. There's a reason that there are little messages on the sides of cigarette packs that say smoking has been shown to cause cancer right like yes and if you choose we're not stopping you that's that's to me where the line is that that the government has to get right up next to is the line between caring about your safety and preventing you from doing a thing that you as an adult person should be allowed to make the decision to do yeah there's like you can drink heavily all night if you want to the government st- the government comes up against your right to drink when you get behind the wheel of your car yeah because because at that point you're endangering other people's others. safety yep and that's where and so it seems to me that virginia is trying to figure out where that line is not just economically but also safety wise how again, are we going to regulate this in a way that's that finds that line where we don't oppress people's personal rights but we protect the larger 
Well, and the other thing, yeah, and the other thing that Virginia did was decriminalize the use, right? Which is awesome because that will stop the the ridiculous amount of people going to prison for very tiny amounts of what I think of as tiny. It's one thing. If the cops find you with 18 kilos of weed, like, <laughs> that's not personal use. And if it is, we need to get you help, right? Like, so, so I'm, you know, like I have, I have, but, but when they find you with an ounce of weed or two ounces of weed, yeah, I mean, I'm going to just come out and say, I personally have never thought that that should have been illegal. Like, that's not enough. Yeah, to cause I mean, people to run wild in the streets and be, you know, violent monsters. It's just, it's just not. Yeah, I mean, in, in, in the other issue, and we could, you know, do multiple podcast episodes about this, is politi- you know, is culture, right? Right. Political and otherwise in a country. I mean, as I mentioned earlier uh, in the podcast episode, um, the United States relationship with booze, with alcohol, is very different than many other countries' relationship with alcohol, right? right? You know, which you know, has caused all kinds of weird cultural follow-on from that. Yeah, I mean, we've had laws, we've had efforts to prohibit. Okay, we have seen, you know, you know, uh, some state governments basically, you know, come into existence because of alcohol, right? right. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but, you know, in, in the United, uh, in, for instance, in many European countries, okay, they don't have nearly the percentage of their citizenry um, uh, suffer from alcoholism as we do here in the United States. Right. It's okay. a, it's a, it goes in both directions, those relationships of, it's, yeah suppression and and then ooh, i'm gonna drink because ooh, it's a forbidden yeah like if you grow up in france drinking an inch of wine in the bottom of a glass since you were nine when you turn 18 there's nothing magical or 21 there's nothing magical magical about going drinking you're like well why would i do that when i could just go do something else for my 21st birthday whereas here the, in the United States, your 21st birthday is your invitation to get completely blotto to the point where you're throwing up your shoes. Like, yeah, okay. I mean, and, and you know, and think about other things. And again, this ties into a country's, you know, broader culture. Okay. Uh, you know, plenty of people, researchers, scholars, okay, um, uh, people from other countries uh, point out about how the United States, on one hand, okay, uh, seems to have a Puritan view of sex. Right. Okay. But and then regard- we've got quite the porn yeah, industry I mean, in the United States in a very different way than they have in other countries. Countries. Other people's the- naked bodies in other countries are like, ah, a naked person. And here. It's like, woohoo, naked. Exactly. <laughs> or ah, naked, right? Like it goes yes. in it, both it, directions it, as opposed it, to. Huh, such extremes right whereas most people are like huh naked moving on and they don't even yeah because in other it's not salacious yeah it's not salacious in other nations uh the human body (laughs) well the human body is functional right Right. okay it is a collection of parts that when they are working well 
are your tool or tools to get through your daily life. But here in the United States, woohoo, skin. Okay. Well, or, and we are talking, sorry, Western nations and other nations. Like we are not talking about Taliban, who would have a similar reaction yes. to public nakedness that my grandmother would have. Um, oh yeah. Of being completely appalled. Like we're not talking about those nations in which nakedness is also not acceptable. But it's not acceptable as a religious function i suppose of the culture as much as well anything they, else well and then you know, that ties to my next point when you're talking about policy okay um and i challenge my students when i teach uh, my public policy class i'm like guys you know what contributes to a nation's political culture because political culture helps determine what is or is not acceptable in terms of public policy, okay? And I said, and though many of you all who are of the, the younger generations would like to see religion have less of an influence on political culture in the United States. It's had that, an enormous, I mean, it's from had the an beginning. Enormous, okay, from the beginning, from the, the whole point was okay, to- I said, you know, you have to remember <laughs> that a large number of American colonies, okay, were created, okay, with specific religions in the charters from Great Britain that could dominate. Exactly. What, you know, whether it was the Quakers in Pennsylvania, the Catholics in Maryland, the Baptists in South Carolina, okay, the- It was a- we came here to practice our religion. Religion, that's right. And we will create a state that will allow us to do that. The people who think that that Utah is somehow unique in American history, no. as far as being a state created upon religion, no, that that's not a that's and, a that's a relatively normal thing here. And those kinds of religious um, uh, morals and values, okay influenced the creation of public policy. It influenced the way we view things that we human beings will do, right? right. Whether it be, you know, drink alcohol or our relationship with food. Again, the American relationship with food, okay, is- it's a whole nother podcast. Yeah, is a, it was very different than other cultures, right? right. Okay, the, the, this idea that you would go to a restaurant and have a servings portion that in other countries could feed a family of four easily, okay, is shocking. But we Americans are like, oh, hey, a buffet where for $15, okay, we can go back for six or seven helpings of food. Right. In other cultures, you know, what's wrong with you? Right, but why would you need that much food? Yeah, but here in the United States, oh, hey, that's a good deal. Well, it's part capitalism. It's also more is better, which is an American Thing. sort of mentality. Yeah, right. right? That, I mean, that's, why have one jet when you can have six? Right. Yes. There's a there's all these sort of sort of excess. Americans like excess. But I want to bring us back to something you because I want to ask your opinion before we close out this episode. You said that the Senate is considering making a federal change to the marijuana status, right? Yes, yeah. Do you think that will go through? No. Why? 
Um, unless the Senate gets rid of the filibuster. And for our listeners, the filibuster is the rule in the Senate that 60 senators have to vote to end debate. Okay. I don't think there is enough senators who are going to want to end debate on removing marijuana from Schedule 1 and to decriminalize recreational amounts of marijuana. Really? I just don't think that there's enough. Do you if think it, that politi- do you think that popular opinion is that we should have legalized yes. marijuana in the United States yeah. even in the red states? Do you think it's popular opinion? Yeah. Uh, the public opinion polls Nia that I have seen the most recent ones both nationally and at the state level. Uh, nationally, uh, 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 I wouldn't say a strong majority, but a healthy majority of Americans would like to see the decriminalization of marijuana. Okay. I think if the Congress went in that direction to decriminalize marijuana, okay, they might get enough support. But to remove it completely from schedule one and allow for the recreational use of marijuana, even though public opinion polls seem to favor that, um, I I just don't see there being enough votes in the Senate. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Yeah. Well, um, uh, maybe another couple of presidents. Maybe. Uh, I mean, maybe as, as, uh, younger people move into more political power and as younger people move into more likelihood of controlling public policy in a variety of ways that may that but may all, shift i mean 30 another, years ago nobody thought it would even be legal anywhere ever like yeah I, 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 you're I tell, already seeing that shift yeah I, I tell my students i said you know for those of you because some of my students are just like, you know, Virginia didn't go far enough, right? right. Okay, um, you know, I tell them, I said, hey guys, okay, give it a decade <laughs> or two. Right, 30 years ago, Virginia wouldn't have even considered this, like, I said, you no. know, I said, you know, folks, I'm old enough to remember when an overwhelming majority of Americans were against legalizing the recreational use of marijuana an overwhelming majority of Americans were against same-sex marriage. Right. Okay. An overwhelming majority of Americans were against women being in combat positions in the military. And I said, and within my lifetime, I said, not only within my lifetime, within my adult portion of my lifetime. Right. Okay. Those are all changes. So I said, if you have some patience, and you're willing to work and support those elected officials, okay, who are willing to go ahead and see things differently, you can get change. But policy change, okay, in the United States tends to be incremental. Right. It tends to be incremental. And we America is an amazingly uh, um, conservative country in that way. There's rarely a giant leap to something. And when there is, then it's, then it gets eroded 
because people weren't ready for it. Yes. So, so yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. uh, if if they come back and they've passed it, then you can eat crow. Sure. Um, and hey, if it, and if they do pass, if they don't, then that'll just be you predicting their normal behavior of we couldn't get ourselves together to do something because we can't agree on anything. Nia is Nia, as you're well aware, because you've known me for a number of years. Um, I am frequently wrong, and I am quite <laughs> willing to go ahead and acknowledge my wrongness. Okay. Me too, because I think that's the only way you learn. Sure. Okay. Um, so, uh, but uh, I really enjoyed having this conversation. Um, um, it is definitely uh, a policy matter um, that a lot of of people in the United States generally, but younger people in particular um, are interested in. And it's right. not because, you know, all, all, all young people are interested um, in walking through life high on marijuana. No, it's just that they don't see the big deal about it. Um, and there's a lot of medical research that supports that view. Um, you know, you and I've talked about this. Um, you know, we Americans tend to abuse things, right? right. Um, but, you know, most things in moderation. Right. You're an adult. Yeah. Do right? you, as it yeah. were. Um, yeah. And, and for the record, I am uh, no longer a marijuana user, um, but I still, I still think, do you in, in reasonable amounts? Who am I to stop you? Like, as long as you don't endanger other people, it's well, none of I my mean, business. I'm, I mean, I'm very much of the position that a huge amount of what goes on in the world is none of my business. Sure. Right? I, who people have sex with, how much they, what they do in the privacy of their homes, as long as they're not abusing each other and everyone's consenting to adult whatever, none of that's my business. So yeah, yeah, I think I, that's where a lot of young people are is, is, is it's not my business to know what you do in your private life. As long as it doesn't hurt anybody else, go ahead. Yeah, no, so, I, we'll yeah, see. I tend, yeah, I tend to agree with you on that. So yeah, All right, thank you so much. And uh, we'll get together again soon. All right. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.